All right, we're going to begin tonight on page 12. We're going to begin with a real somber study tonight. Before we begin, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and your people. We pray that you would use this study tonight to burden our hearts for people that are dropping off into eternity and going to hell. It's a very serious and heart-wrenching thing to think about, that there are actually people in this place. But we pray that our knowledge of this place will make us sensitive to opportunities to tell the truth because we know that Jude says some people will be saved by snatching them from the fire. So we need to be prepared to defend this. And I pray that we would in learning these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Now I'd ask you to open your Bibles tonight to Luke 16, Luke chapter 16, because the thing that we're going to address tonight is what's it like for somebody that's in hell right now? What's hell actually like? We're going to address that tonight. I want to begin by looking at Luke 16, starting at verse 19, because we're going to make a lot of observations about this. Now, there was a rich man, and he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, joyously living in splendor every day. And a poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate, covered with sores and longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table. Besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. Now, the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom, and the rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you receive good things and likewise Lazarus bad things, but now he's being comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great chasm fixed so that those who wish to come over from here to you will not be able, and that none may cross over from there to us. And he said that I beg you, Father, that you send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers in order that he may warn them so that they will not come to this place of torment. But Abraham said they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. But he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded, even if someone rises from the dead. Now, before we start working our way through this, I want to make a couple of preliminary observations. First of all, this is not a parable. And there are people that try to say that this is just a parable story that is being told. This is literal. And I want to, again, remind us that the one who is telling this story about this is Jesus Christ, who was the most loving, perfect, righteous, gracious person to ever live on this earth and walk on this earth. So he is the one who's actually telling this story. He uses specific names, like the name of Lazarus. It's a specific name. He gives very specific details as to what this place is life. He talks about this guy having a specific family. In verse 28, he had five brothers that were still living here. 
He talks about how he actually lived his life. He lived his life in luxury. And the language that is used here, and I want to be just clear on this point, is very, very detailed language. We're getting tremendous details here. There's nothing in here that would indicate this is some symbolic metaphorical parable because there are people that attack this passage using that argument. Now, both of the men get to this place at the moment that they die. They get to the respective places the moment they die, and that is seen in verse 22. Now, the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom, and the rich man also died and was buried in Hades. So from that, we would learn there is no chance of any such thing as soul sleep. There's no chance of annihilation. There's no chance of reincarnation. There's no chance of purgatory. There's no chance of remedial cleansing. There's no chance of relocation once you're there. Once you're in these places, there is no opportunity for relocation. I also want to make one other point, and that is that the rich man was apparently Jewish, because in verse 24, he calls Abraham Father Abraham. So we would assume from that statement that he is Jewish. Now, when you come to this particular section of Scripture, it begins to introduce to us some significant facts about what hell is like. In the course of tonight and next week, we'll look at a total of 22 revealed facts about hell. And the first illustration that we're given here, or the first information that we're given here, is about this rich man who was habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, joyously living in splendor every day. I want to make a couple of observations about this rich man. There's no major sin mentioned about his life. In fact, he had a good life. And you don't find him involved in any type of major sin. So that tells us right there, there's going to be good people in hell. A lot of good people in hell. A lot of good people are going to be burning in hell. They weren't necessarily the people that went out and did the horrific kinds of sins that make the news. But there are going to be a lot of good people in hell. And secondly, he was very rich. The language describes that he had rich clothing. He lived in the lap of luxury. That's pretty obvious. The other thing to observe about this is Lazarus is named. The rich man is not named. Why would that be? Because in hell, you're no longer remembered. So God does not in any way allow this rich man even to be named. He just basically names the people that are in a right relationship with him. In this case, it would be Lazarus, but the rich man, we don't know the guy's name because once a person goes into hell, they're not going to be remembered as being a spectacular person. Now, the facts that we want to see about him is, first of all, it is a place of torment. That's pretty obvious. In verse 23, in Hades, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment. And again, in verse 28, the same thing, for I have five brothers in order that he may warn them so that they will not come to this place of torment. The word that is used there is basanas, for torment. We're talking here about a place. Now remember, this is the Lord Jesus using these words. He has seen this place. He's designed this place. He knows where these people are. This particular word, basanas, refers to torturous torment pain, a specific torture and torment that really causes mental distress. I mean, we're talking about pain and anguish here by the use of this word that Jesus uses. So hell is a place where people are actually in a torturous torment type of distress. The second fact is it's a place of agony. You'll notice verse 
24, I'm in agony in this flame. So it's a horrible place of pain. And the word agony, it would be odunao, is a word that talks about very distressful, suffering kind of pain in body and mind. What that would tell us is, when a person is in this place, they have some form of body that is able to experience this pain, which we'll talk about in a minute, and they also have a mind that is capable of comprehending the pain they're experiencing. So obviously, when they're in hell, it's not a place of just annihilation, where you just cease to be. You do exist in this place, and you do have some type of body that is very real that can experience these things. Now, the third revealed fact is that it is a place of very real consciousness. People who are in hell are aware of many, many, many things, and there are 12 areas of consciousness that we want to point out. First of all, the person is conscious of the fact that he's missing out on a heaven environment. Before we get into that and talk about that for a second, I want to just bring out another observation about this. When Lazarus dies, we get information that angels were there and were there to help usher him in to this place of comfort, Abraham's bosom. But when the rich man dies, there's no mention of angels ushering him in. In fact, all it says is he was buried. What we may assume from that is he was just instantly there, cast into this place. Whereas in the case of a believer who goes into the, we would say Abraham's bosom would be the upper chamber of Sheol, he is actually ushered in in somewhat of a grandiose way, a glorious way, and there are angels involved in it. And I think that is true for a believer today. When we are absent from the body and present with the Lord, I do think angels are involved in that whole process of allowing us to go into the presence of the Lord. But for the person who's going to hell, there aren't going to be a bunch of angels show up to take them there. They're cast into there, and they're authorized to go in there by the Lord Jesus Christ. So this idea that here are the demons coming to get you, I don't buy into that. It's not revealed at all in any place. The only place we have angels connected to this is angels help usher in the believer. Now, a person is conscious of the fact that he's missing out on the heaven environment. You'll notice in verse 23, In Hades he lifted up his eyes, being in torment. He saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus bad things, but now he's being comforted here. You are in agony. I want to point out, as we pointed out previously, he looks up. He looks up. That's the only way he can look up where he can see anything. Apparently, he was aware that there's a distance between him and the place of Abraham's bosom. He's aware of his pain. He's also aware of the people that are in Abraham's bosom don't have the pain. He's aware of that. So he has a real consciousness of that heaven environment that he's not in. So as he's burning in this agony and fire, and he's going through all the torment of hell, he actually has to add to that a consciousness of the fact that there are people that are enjoying the bliss of heaven and they're experiencing the joy of the Lord. He really has that mental thinking about him. 
Now, the second thing I want to bring out is he is conscious mentally, and he can see and think and speak. Verse 23, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom, and he cried out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, send Lazarus, so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. He obviously has the ability to see and speak and think and feel. From just reading that, you would have to say he has normal human functions of seeing, thinking, and feeling, that kind of thing. So apparently when you get into this place of heaven or hell, you have your normal human personality and you have your normal human functions. What's interesting about this is he never questions God in him being there. He doesn't say, I don't deserve to be here. And he never questions God, why am I here? Which is fascinating. He does ask God to dip a finger in somebody's water to cool off his tongue. But man, I'm telling you, that would lead me to the conclusion that when you're a person in hell and you're burning in the fires of hell and you can see, think, and speak, and then you realize, I deserve to be here. I deserve to be here because I would not respond to this gracious package of salvation that I could have had in Jesus Christ. And that's going to wear on your mind as you're in this place. A third thing that a person is conscious is he's able to feel the pain that he's in and experiencing. He says, I'm in agony in this flame. And that is a burning pain that he's talking about. In fact, when you use the word flame, it's a flame that burns. Go over to, Luke uses this word over in the book of Acts. Go over to Acts chapter 7 for just a second. Let me show you another place where he uses this word. In Acts chapter 7. In Acts chapter 7 and verse 30, we read, And after forty years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in the flame of a burning thorn bush. Now, it's the same word used here, flogi. It's the same word flame there. You're talking about a fire that burns. And in verse 24, he says, I'm in agony in this flame. So he really has a consciousness of the fact that he has a burning flame. And how bad would it be? How bad would this burning be if it would feel good for just one drop of water off somebody's tip of the finger? I mean, you have to think that through. This must be horrible pain for someone to be experiencing if one drop of water on the tip of a finger could actually make somebody feel good who's burning in hell. Think of the horrible pain that the person is in. Now, the fourth conscious area is a person is conscious of complete memories. Complete memories. Notice verse 25, but Abraham said, child, remember that during your life you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus bad things, but now he's being comforted here, and you're in agony. And then in verse 27, and he said, Then I beg you, Father, that you send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, in order that he may warn them so they will not come to this place of torment. So this guy remembers his previous life as he's burning in this fire in total agony. He remembers his previous life. He knows what his previous life was like. Since he experienced good things, he's living with that. Now, there's nothing wrong with experiencing good things. If he would have kept it in a right perspective in his relationship with the Lord, which obviously he didn't care about. But he's remembering, man, I had a good life when I was there, and he's able to also remember his family and his siblings. It's interesting that he says, send him back to 
my father's house. Let's see here. Send him back to my father's house there in verse 27. That's an interesting thing because you have to say, well, where is his father? His father obviously isn't back on earth with the other siblings because he says, I don't want my siblings coming to this place. And had his father still been alive, he would have said, I don't want my dad coming to this place either. I don't want my father coming to this place. So send someone back to warn my brothers. But he doesn't mention the father other than send them back to my father's house, which only leaves us with a couple of options. The father is either in the Abraham's bosom side or the father is in the hell side. Now, if the father is in the hell side, which we may assume he is in view of the fact that the rest of the family is, if the father is in the hell side, then what we learn from that is the guy must be in isolation and he hasn't bumped into his dad. He hasn't bumped into his family that's there. If his father is already there, which would indicate that he's there and he's having memories of all of this, but he's there burning and he's alone. Now, a fifth consciousness that a person has is a person is conscious of the relief that he's not receiving. Verse 24, he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I'm in agony in this flame. There obviously here is a real flame. There's a real thirst. He has a real tongue. There's real water, and he has no access to water. Now, that's interesting. Because certainly if you're in a flame or you're near fire, that's what you want. You want some water near. And obviously, there's no water that he has access to. And he also has a tongue. He has some sort of body that would have a tongue that would be capable of receiving a drop of water if it were to be authorized to give him. He would have that obviously available to him. Sixthly, a person is conscious of the life he lived for himself. Verse 25, but Abraham said, child, remember that during your life, you received good things and likewise Lazarus bad things, but now he is being comforted here and you're in agony. I mean, God had obviously given this guy many, many good things in life and he left God out. And it's interesting in this dialogue that takes place here, the guy doesn't say, he never once says, why am I here? He doesn't question that. And he doesn't say, I'm blaming God either for being here. He doesn't do that either. He realizes why he's there. He realizes, I had a great life. I mean, I had the high upper echelon kind of lifestyle that people dream about, but I left God out of it. I wasn't interested in being right with him. So when I die, I end up in this place. And he would remember, I lived my life for myself. I left God out. Now, the seventh conscious reality that he's aware of is he's conscious of the inescapability of his eternal existence. Verse 26, there is a great chasm fixed so that those who wish to come over from here to you will not be able and that none may cross over from there to us. Once you are in eternity and once a person is in hell, you're not going to get any visits from people. Even if your family members on heaven's side would like to see and talk with you, they're not going to be able to do it. And you're not going to get a visit from hell to heaven either. And this again just shows you there's no reincarnation nonsense where people are going to come back and something else. They're there. Once they're in hell, they're there. 
They're not getting out of this place. There's no way they're going to get out of this place ever. It's a scary proposition. Eternity is a scary proposition. Now, God has made it possible for people never have to go to this place. A wonderful, simple procedure. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved, and you never have to worry about this. But for people who are saying, I don't need that. I got a good life, got everything I want in life. I'm going to leave God out. I don't care about what Jesus Christ did for me on that cross. I don't care that he took my sins away. I'm not going to believe in him whatsoever. This is where they're heading. And once they get in there, they're not going to escape. Now, the eighth thing is a person is conscious of the relatives left behind on earth. That is obvious from verse 28. He remembers his five brothers. One is able to think about things. Obviously, it would appear to me that the burden that a person has who's in hell is that he would remember the people who are on earth who are still alive. And the thought of somebody in hell is not, I want them to come here. The thought of someone in hell is, I do not want them ever to have to come and experience this place. I, years ago, did a funeral for a girl over in Battle Creek. And the mother was in the church here, and the daughter died. And so she asked if I would do the funeral for the daughter. And I didn't know this daughter. In fact, I'm not even sure she knew the Lord, quite honestly, in light of talking with her mom. And so the day of the funeral, I'm over at the funeral home, and it's about three minutes before I'm supposed to walk out there and do this thing. And the father of the daughter comes up, and he goes, you're not going out there to say anything. I said, yes, I am. I don't know. You're not going out there to say anything. I said, yes, I am. I'm going to go out and I'm going to do something honorable for the Lord. I'm going to do something honorable for your daughter, whether you like it or not. Now you sit there and listen. And so I walked out there. The funeral director took me out there and I walked out there. I did my thing. And not knowing whether this girl was in heaven or hell, I said this. I said, I can tell you this about this girl. If she could come back right now and address this congregation, she would tell you the importance of believing in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation and then invest your life learning and applying the word of God. And when I said that, the dad who's sitting there goes, no, she wouldn't. He yells it out. No, she wouldn't. Well, this time I thought, all right, where do I want to go with this? And I'm thinking, well, I'm not too far from having this wrapped up, so I'll just keep plugging along. I thought graveside's going to be real interesting. Turned out he mellowed out when we got to the graveside. But where I got that data that if someone could come back from hell and actually address people or talk to relatives that haven't died yet, where I got the idea they would say, don't come to this place, but believe in the Lord is right here, right here, where this guy who's in hell says, I have five brothers that aren't dead yet. And would you send somebody back to warn them? So what that tells us is a person in hell has a real consciousness of the relatives that are here on earth. They remember that. They think about these people. Now, the ninth thing is a person is conscious of the burden. He has not to see others end up where he's at. That kind of goes along with what we've said. A person who's in hell, he doesn't want other people to be in hell. That's where these people get goofy. Oh, you know, we go to hell, all our buddies are going to be there. If you have a buddy that's in hell, that buddy that's in hell doesn't want you to go to hell. If you have a family member who's burning in hell, that family member doesn't ever want you to go to this place. And this guy has a consciousness that he didn't want to see his other family members there. Now, 
I remind us again, the person who's giving us this data is Jesus Christ. So if you don't accept this data, you're basically saying concerning Jesus Christ, he's a liar. And that's not a real smart thing to do. He's truth. And he proved he is telling the truth always by raising from the dead. So you don't want to get in a rut that says, well, we'll just believe what people think versus what this text says, because the one who's presenting the data here is none other than Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is the truth of God, the way, the truth. And no one comes to the Father but through him. So he's the one telling this story. Now, the 10th conscious fact is a person is conscious of the blessed eternity he's missing. Verses 23 and 24. Somebody in hell is totally aware of the fact I'm not with those other people that aren't in hell. He's aware of the fact I'm not with them. He knows when he's in hell that there are people who are not experiencing the pain and the suffering and the agony that he's experiencing. He realizes there are people who are right with the Lord and they're experiencing eternity at a whole different wonderful level of comfort and peace and joy. He understands that. He thinks about that. So not only is hell a place where a person is physically suffering, but hell is a place where a person is mentally suffering, remembering that. Now the 11th fact of consciousness is a person is conscious of the fact that he will never escape or get out. He's aware of this. Verse 26, beside all this between us and you, there is a great chasm fixed so that those who wish to come over from here to you will not be able and that none may cross over from there to us. So a person who is in hell is aware of the fact there is no chance of relocation. Now is the time to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ so you never have to go to hell. But a person who goes to hell once they're there, they're there forever. You don't want to listen to the Jehovah's Witness nonsense, the Mormon nonsense, the Catholics nonsense of purgatory. It's wrong. It's false. Either Jesus Christ is telling us the truth here, or you listen to religions. Well, who are you going to listen to? Religions or Jesus Christ? I'll take the word of the Lord Jesus Christ, and rightfully so, because he's the one who understands what this place is. Once a person gets in this place, they're not getting out. They're not going to some other place. The only place that they'll end up going is to the great white throne judgment, and that great white throne judgment will be that which will cast them into the eternal lake of fire. The twelfth conscious reality is that a person is conscious of the word of God he rejected. Now I find, and I'm going to wrap it up with this tonight, I find this interesting because his argument is, look, if you would send someone back from the dead, if you would have somebody go back from the dead and talk to people, my brothers, they won't come to this place. And of course, Jesus says, no, they won't. No, they won't. He said, in fact, what they have is they have the written word of God. They have the law. The Old Testament law that shows everybody they're guilty, they haven't measured up to the righteousness of God, and they have the prophets that teach them of the fact that one would come who would be wounded for our transgressions and would be our substitute, who would be having his hands and feet pierced. They have the prophets that predicted he'll be born in Bethlehem. He'll be raised from the dead. I mean, the prophets predicted that this one is the one who will come, who can get us into a right relationship with God and view the fact that the law that shows us we're sinful. So the guy's arguing, but if somebody went back from the dead, 
he would trump the written word of God in making an impact on our relatives. So if somebody went back from the dead, so I have us go to John 11. Well, let's go and see if it worked. We go to John 11, and you know the scene here. You have another Lazarus. It's not the same Lazarus that Jesus is referring to here, but it's another guy who's named as Lazarus, and he literally is going to bring him back from the dead. Lazarus was raised from the dead, and people saw it. People saw it. They saw it. Now, let's go to verse 39 of John 11. Jesus said, Remove the stone, Martha. The sister of the deceased said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but because of the people standing around, I said it so that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. The man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Now he comes forward. They see this guy come forward. Now drop down to verse 47. Therefore the chief priests and Pharisees convened council and were saying, what are we doing? For this man is performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, all men will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. And they're coming up with a plot that they want to kill him. Notice verse 53, so from that day on, they planned together to kill him. Well, he has a guy come back from the dead. He's got a guy coming right back from the dead. He's been dead for four days. And he has him come walking right out of the tomb. And you say, okay, if he sends back somebody from the dead, you're claiming everybody's going to believe on him. Now, there were a few who did ultimately believe in him at that point. But the fact of the matter is, he sent people back from the dead to Israel, he brings Lazarus. The leaders see it. What do they do? They say, we got to kill Jesus Christ. So it really doesn't matter if they sent one back from the dead or not. Just like he says, they have Moses and the prophets. And if they're not going to listen to them, they would not listen to one, even if we sent him back from the dead. Our time is gone tonight, so we'll have to get to fact number four. Lord willing, next Wednesday, do you have any questions uh, about this tonight? All right, uh, we've got a tremendous, oh my goodness, what a passage on gray areas Sunday morning in Romans 14. You're going to be fascinated with that text. And then a potent text that's going to be in Nahum on Sunday night. Thanks for coming. Good night.